You are listening to a podcast from Australia's best-known community radio station, 3RRR, 102.7 in Melbourne. Good morning, everybody, and welcome to the final episode of Einstein and Go-Go for 2016. I'm Dr. Shane. A big thank you to the team from Radiotherapy for rocking us in until 11 o'clock. We've got you now until 12, when we're going to hand over to Cam, who is already here, believe it or not. He's very eager. But in the studio with me, I have uh, pretty much more than half of our team, actually. I've got Dr. Crystal. Good morning. Happy science, miss. <laughs> I wasn't prepared for that, <laughs> but okay. Um, a festivist for the rest of us, is it? Yes, yes. Dr. Lauren. Good morning. Good to see you. Dr. Jeff. Good morning and happy Peace Mass. Oh boy, this is starting. <laughs> Merry Christmas, Ray. Good morning, Dr. Shane. I do it just for the gifts. Let me be honest here. Yeah, hey, you know, hey, I'm all for it. Now, Dr. Laura is in. She's one of our guests. We're trying to convert her into a host. We'll see how that goes, folks. Good morning, Good morning, Laura. Hi, Shane. Thanks for having me back. Sometimes the conversion doesn't take. <laughs> and to give credit, credence to that, uh, we have Chris KP. <laughs> Happy mess. Yeah. <laughs> He's hopeless, folks. Um, and Liv's doing our Twitter feed, of course, if you want to follow us, the uh, whatever you call it is Einstein <laughs> <laughs> underscore a go-go. Uh, am I old? No, of course not. We're on Twitter. It's all working well. No, but, Shane, you're just a rogue one. Yeah, yes, yes, yes. yes yeah, thank you. Um, we, we, we are getting into the theme of uh, the holiday season, though. We've already... Um, the, the crew has downed a bit of alcohol this morning, folks, so I'm not sure how the show will go. We'll do our best. <laughs> I'm already getting into the, the season's festivities. In fact, I was at Coles this morning. And you may have experienced this where you've got a, a whopping loaded full trolley and you're heading towards someone and they make you go around them <laughs> when they're just walking in. And to that person, hello, and I'd just like to give you a quote from Harrison Ford from the film Mosquito Coast. Have a nice day. <laughs> if you've seen that film, folks, you'll know what I mean. Now, you are we're going to. We are going <laughs> to. I would have used a tractor beam myself. Yeah, you can, you can still get it on VHS. Um, <laughs> what we're going to do for what? the next hour, though. Eight track to you, Jeff. Um, <laughs> what we're going to do for the next hour, though, is we're going to give you some of the highlights of our science year. Each of the team members has been given the task of picking something out that they particularly liked from the year of science and uh, this could go horribly uh, well generally it just goes horribly bad actually as people <laughs> choose all the crap Dr Christa no I've taken an evidence-based approach to this <laughs> because I thought if we're going to talk about the top stories of 2016 you know how can we bring an evidence base to this and so um, I've looked at the altmetrics analysis so Ooh. um so this is a site that looks at the top 100 papers that have been talked about in 2016 not just in the academic community amongst um, ourselves but in um, looking at the news stories in the mainstream media mentions on Twitter shares on social media you know what are the things that have actually got people talking about yeah. science in 2016 and it's really fascinating I mean most of the papers that were listed in the top 100 came from um, Europe and the US but Australia had a very strong um, presence in terms of being one of the countries with the most collaborations um, in the top 100 so do, do you want to go first oh <laughs> <laughs> No, go, go. 
Of course. C- continue. So continue. I'm just, uh, so <laughs> <laughs> but, but I thought maybe it would be good to set the themes for what sorts of things people were yes. talking about this year in terms of um, medicine and health. You know, there was a lot of papers that came out this year about the impacts of the Zika virus in terms of space mm. and discovery. I'm assuming someone today might want to talk about gravitational waves and, you know, the big stories that came out this year. Damn it, I knew I forgot something. And planet <laughs> and discovery of new exoplanets. Um, you know, and also, you know, some of the things that also came out in the top 100 list were actually papers talking about the impact of technology on humanity. And I know that some people might want to start talking about the gene editing stories of the um, of 2016. So I thought mm. maybe it was a good scene setter to maybe have a look at through this list and um, and see how that, you know, compares to what the team have brought along today. You Googled top 10, didn't you? <laughs> I did my research. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> All righty, Dr. Lauren, you're up. What have you got for us? Well, I decided to go with the story that actually, I guess, brought me back to the world of science after I'd had my baby. Um, and it was the new story about the um, group at Stanford University that actually injected the stem cells directly into patients' brains. You guys might remember mm. this. Uh, so there were basically 18 patients that had had strokes and were severely disabled from their strokes. So I believe most of them were in wheelchairs at the start of the trial. And they actually inject the stem cells straight into the brain when the patients were mildly anaesthetised and they found that it was successful in all cases. There were no negative effects apart from just some mild headaches. But the really exciting thing is that these um, increased mobility in all of the patients and in a couple of the patients they actually went from being in wheelchairs to being able to walk freely again. Mm. So this obviously comes with a huge caveat that, you know, this is very early days and it's not for everyone. But this, I still remember, you know, being in the first few weeks of um, having a newborn in the house and this came on the news and I was like, that is amazing. Mm. Yeah. The fact that we can actually now you know, take these things from the lab and actually trial them with patients and get these results. So that's my my number one that I have cool. hundreds. Oh, you got hundreds? Yeah. Well, so I thought I'd just do the whole show. Okay. Is that all right? <laughs> no. Uh, <laughs> these guys are prepared. Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, and we, and we shouldn't confuse that mm. with some of the companies that have popped up in Australia that are, well, I'll put it yeah. Crudely sucking fat out of your ass, pretending it's a stem yep. cell therapy and pumping it into your brain. Exactly. That that is not yeah. um, what this is about. And that's the really scary thing I think yeah. with this area is that there's a lot of you know yeah a lot of media build up. There's mm. a lot of companies that mm. sort of are jumping on board. So be very careful with these sorts of news stories, but very exciting. Chris goes to smiling. Have you had that therapy? Have you? No, no. <laughs> I was just saying you're quite right. It's it's not proper therapy, but it is weight loss technique. <laughs> <laughs> well, weight redistribution. Yeah. 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 <laughs> All right, thank you, Dr. Lauren. Dr. Jeff, why don't we go to you next? What do you got? Uh, I'm talking crap. <laughs> um, now, tell us something that we are many, not aware of. For many people, we know that, that 2016 was the, was the year when the shit hit the fan. Well, the fans hit the shit this year. <laughs> the, I'm talking about what is in, what factors, and what little organisms, literally microbiota, that live in our bodies and just and the our crap is just one of the the body locations that they live in every single nook and cranny you've got a different set of ecological niches it's exactly like an e- ecological it is an ecological niche and these these we are not what we are without these little bugs and this was illustrated by a, an amazing paper that came out 2 weeks ago it was basically showing that in an animal model of Parkinson's disease, so they changed a gene in these animals to give them Parkinson's disease. They didn't get Parkinson's disease if they didn't have 
a variety of bugs in their intestines. You take away the bugs, they didn't have Parkinson's disease. And they also took poo from, transplanted from someone with Parkinson's disease, a human. They put these into a mice that didn't have any bugs with this genetic defect. And because of a unique interaction with the genetics and the environment, in this case the environment is the factors that these microbiota produce, um, they exhibited these motor, these movement deficits of Parkinson's disease. So that and other research is saying whatever disease or disorder you're working with in humans, whether it's immunity, asthma, Parkinson's, autism, even emotional behavior, depression, anxiety, you have to study at least the gut microbiota. Mm. We are feeding them with what we eat. That's why high-fiber diets feed them. Uh, and they produce all these useful chemicals that travel throughout the body and make us what we are. Without them, we are not human. Mm. It's interesting stuff. Yeah, it's interesting stuff. And the, I think that, that whole world of research is just exploding mm. at the moment. Yeah, exploding. Um, <laughs> no, but it really is, it really is something that in the next 10 years we will get, um, we'll get a totally different view of what, what this means for us and we're already starting to see that especially in areas like autism and so forth just yeah, what this absolutely mm. and as you say as you imply mm. it is early days there's mm. some amazing stories and as you said there'll be some to want to coin a better phrase shysters out there yep. who will try to sell you and as always in this post-truth world check 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 does mm. the news article show you take you to an article at the end are the news is the so-called news article trying to sell you something yeah. especially if anything and i did this this morning myself any site mentions the word detox mm. delete mm. delete delete mm. so check the you know the the, the provenance of, of a story yeah and what's more exciting than christmas folks than the onslaught of waste lot weight loss ads that you'll get um a few weeks later <laughs> so exactly your new yeah. year's resolution so is going to be the same as what we if, sold you last year and if there's one tip for christmas is just what it, during your overindulgence just make sure of every meal you eat try to get 50 percent veggies in there and that will really help you. Really, the, all the fiber in those veggies will feed your microbiota. So yeah. you can old, overindulge, but just keep the veggies and fruit going. Okay. Yeah, I'm not going to endorse that. I just say go nuts. Um, <laughs> oh, no, nuts are great. Nuts, very, nuts literally, <laughs> nuts are great. Lots of fiber in them. Omega-3 uh, fatty acids. Well, the, the fun police. Um, <laughs> Dr. Laura, we're going to skip Dr. Ray for a moment and Why? come across to you. That Why? way you, you don't have time. Is to that because you no, you thought he was going to... I didn't want to give you time to prepare. And we've, you've, got to, you've got to bring us back from all this, you know, this gut stuff. Um, I googled top ten stories. <laughs> Good effort. We've all been there. But I, 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 didn't, I, didn't, I didn't actually go with any of them yet. Actually, kind of, I went with the story just because I thought it was really cool. And everybody loves it when medical research meets science fiction. A little bit of Twilight in here. I'm too old for Twilight. But anyway, it's a story about how... Oh my God. <laughs> no? <laughs> is, that, so, is that a movie? It's, a I'm not sure it's not on VHS. You should throw an age when you're probably the youngest one in the room <laughs> except for Liv. Am I? <laughs> okay, it's about how blood, specifically young blood, has a specific factor in it which can rejuvenate the elderly. Let's get Liv. Ooh. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> A bit so, of Chianti. Yum, 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 yum. Yeah. <laughs> Calm 
down, I'll tell the tale. So what, so study, so what studies in mice have shown, if you take two mice and you take an old mouse and a young mouse and you pair them together, and you can do this by joining the blood supply by a Frankenstein method, um, what, what you find is that um, all the organs in the old mouse and pretty much all the organs that they've studied, like the heart and the muscle and the brain, they all do better if they're bathed in wow. young blood. Wow. And you can mm. take human blood and just inject that into the mouse and it has the same effect. And they've tracked this back to a specific factor, but of course it's research, so it's very controversial. More papers are coming out saying it's not just that factor, which was called GDF-11. It's always, you know, a few, a few different things. But um, anyway, one, like there's a group at Stanford and they've been looking at the capacity of young blood to help new brain cells grow. And of course, the implications here is that, you know, can blood help, you know, humans with certain neuro- neurodegenerative conditions or people, um, you know, with sort of aging kind of disabilities. And what they're doing now this year is that there's a biotech company called um, Alkaheist and they're taking, the hypothesis is if you take young blood and you inject it into patients with Alzheimer's, you might get um, better growth of new brain cells and they're testing people's cognitive abilities. And um, so this trial is happening at the moment. So this is really fabulous. But, of course, there's also another trial which is very loosely described as a clinical trial. And this is very, um, you know, with people in California who are searching for the fountain of youth. And you can pay $8,000 to be injected with young blood. Ooh. Ooh. Yes. That could be a, that could be a goer. Uh, just a quick question to the, the medical researchers in the room, whether it's a clinical trial and they're actually studying this. Um, from a molecular sense, given how much I hear medicine has evolved from a molecular standpoint, isn't blood exchange kind of, I don't know, 50 to 60 year olds, 50 to 60 years backwards in terms of the sophistication mm. of medical research and asking hypotheses about why this happens and perhaps trying to do a process of elimination to figure out what are the origins? You say there's one factor, but there's always more. And is, is this just the onset of that process, and that's the goal? Chris Kirby's going to jump in. I love this. There's, there's, there's beckoning across the room. Um, yeah, my, my answer to that is I've got no idea. Um, but, I just wanted uh, to chime in anyway. But I, but I just felt lonely. Um, but, but also, I was going to say that, um, that we, 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 you can learn a hell of a lot from doing things, if, if it's safe enough, with a mass approach. Fecal transfer is another place that I would go to where we're sort of going, well, this is a very complex bunch of stuff you're jamming into somebody's patouche, but it seems to be working reasonably well, and that's helping us understand the detail before we get to it, I guess. Mm. And I think that is um, what we're seeing. You you always see trends in medicine kind of rising and falling, and I guess with the advent of um, genetic and molecular biology in the 80s and 90s, everything became very focused on isolating proteins and isolating genes and, and, and being able to look at those in isolation and I think now, because, you know, we're starting to come out of that and start to embrace complexity, um, we're moving back into a more wider kind of view and of is things. It, is it fair to say that we're better equipped technically now to embrace that complexity? We can actually deal with it better? I would say so. I mean, I think I mean, what, what Laura was saying is that they did isolate a, one factor from the blood and, and think that it was one of the primary drivers of this youth phenomenon. Um, but recognising that, you know, biology is always full of a complex system. But we, are, we have got new um, ways of genetic um, and uh, and uh, identifying mixtures at a more complex level now. So I think I think we'll start as a scientific community to move away from that isolation approach and then move back into the complex approach. It's golden stuff. Mm. And this, I mean, I mean, Crystal has hit on something here. 
systems biology. He's studying mm. many things that go on in the same system, like in the gut, you've got the dietary factors, you've got the little, um, the little critters themselves, and all the little factors, metabolites, and also the, the genes that turn on and off. Mm. And only by studying those different aspects of a system... Uh, whether it's the gut, the immune system or whatever, by studying all those parts, can we really only answer those questions? Geneticists and other specialised researchers have got this, are starting, but not, not many of them are starting to talk to people in other disciplines to mm. understand a system better. Do you know, I think you guys are all missing the, the key point of this story, though, really, and that is we've, we've all been very worried about, you know, many of us my age, worried about our kids spending too much time on tablets and stuff. They just won't notice you're taking their blood. <laughs> You know, I, I think this just it just gives me some calm. You know, I'm just. Well, you know, I don't I have to worry. My, my question to, to the other question I had was in the in the older mouse, younger mouse thing. What happened to the younger mouse? Uh, <laughs> I, I, reckon, that, right? I reckon that's an interesting point too because I think for for parents mm. out there, let's face it. Um, you know, I'm just thinking Easter Bunny. I'm thinking Tooth Fairy. I'm thinking, <laughs> is there a is there a blood fairy that yeah. might just turn up a couple of times a year? Brilliant. Yeah. Chuck them five bucks. Yeah, you know, and, and the whole, ba- you know, read them, anything from Bram Stoker, just, you know, read it to them again. Just, this can happen. Don't be afraid of it. It can happen, yeah. you know, and, um, and look at how good Daddy's looking. <laughs> well, we, uh, we better take a break just in case there's any kids listening. Uh, we're going to play some, yeah, play some music for you, folks, and we'll be back in just a moment. You're listening to Einstein and Gogo on 3 Triple Arts, the final show for 2016. You are listening to a podcast from Community Radio 3 Triple R FM in Melbourne, Australia. We are doing the highlights from the news of 2016, folks, and uh, we're up to Dr. Ray. What have you got for us, Vella? Dr. Shane, so... My highlight, I didn't go with the top 10. Uh, yes, I did Google the top 10 and went, yeah, maybe that one. That one someone needs to talk about that one. And So instead, I actually went through back through the stories that I picked. So mm. they already were fractionated or called or selected from my odd viewpoints anyway. But I found an interesting theme in some of the stories I picked this year, which meant there was enough tractable research that I could follow because chemical engineers don't exactly follow zoology and, and understand all of it at first. But this was about uh, the impact of humans on apex predators and then that follow-on effect in ecology. And there were three great stories that really embodied this this year, I thought. And the first one was about um, in, in British Columbia where they actually put the sounds of wolves and cougars in a forest to re- because humans had killed off all the apex predators mm. and it actually changed raccoon foraging where they saw species of crab and fish and actually rise up and this pesty snail go down because it was actually the, the prey of, of, of these intermediate predators. Just by bringing the noises back, the raccoon didn't forage wildly over, over everywhere mm. on these little lakes and streams on this island. And, and this, is, this is reminiscent of a story that came out last year where when they actually they did the study where they put wolves back in Yellowstone and the land recovered and rivers started behaving and runoff changed because deers could deer. The deer population didn't drop that much but it stopped foraging openly and stripping all the underbrush out and then all the topsoil would wash away. And and just the idea of connecting, there's so much that's dependent on the presence of an apex predator. Mm. It could be land, it could be actually affect how rivers actually run through the mm. through the through the countryside down to whether or not you have crabs and fish living or pesky snails coming around. And so that was just one great example. And then there was another one in Canada about particularly about logging and oil extraction. So it's actually caused 
caribou to be on the endangered species. Yet no logger or no oil extraction person has killed a caribou. <laughs> and what's happened is the caribou haven't evolved fast enough in a very unexpected way to deal with apex predators. Caribou's apex predators wolves. And so they know to stay away from mature forests and older woodlands because that's where the wolves are. And as it turns out, the caribou that have been surviving and keeping their calves are the ones that are bad at avoiding wolves. Mm. Because they know, most caribou go, no, don't go to the old forest, go to the new woodland. But the problem is, one apex predator that has adapted to logging and newer woodlands really well is the black bear. And now caribou is on the menu for him. And, 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 and so a lot of the caribou haven't evolved to recognize that their new apex predator is actually the black bear. And, wow, so, yeah. And, yeah. and so that big of a change means they went from safe to an endangered species just from the fact their apex predator changed. Yeah, and and wow. they just haven't evolved fast enough because those things take time. And mm. the in northern Canada, the, the the logging has happened on a time scale way faster than than evolution. And, and the last apex predator story was one about this. Is one's a little bit more positive. This one is in 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 the Seychelles when they were deciding the size of a reef part uh, reef preserve for a no fishing zone. Normally, they do that based on where the coral and the fish are, but instead they track the turtles and sharks particularly to track the predator. Because as it turns out, if you want to protect the fish, the predators tend to just be where the food is. Otherwise, it's a waste Mm. of energy to go there. Mm. And by tracking the predators with Mm. radio telemetry, and they tagged a bunch of sharks, they made the the exclusion zone 35% bigger based on where the predators went, not just the fish. And so what we're seeing is this this year I've seen, and I think it's been motivated by things like Yellowstone and and we even had the movie last year about the dog helping the penguins in Australia. Mm-hmm. Um, that you're starting, and, and, and Zoos Victoria's been doing some fantastic work about using apex predators to protect endangered species as they reintroduce them from things like wild dogs. So we're starting to see more of a theme of this, and I just think it's fascinating and, and shows the, the levels of complexity in ecology when you start to look from apex predator all the way down to where river runs. Mm. So. It, it, it gives you an idea of... If you if you pull one thread mm, in yeah. nature, you better watch out because odds are the effects will be, you know, I was going to use the term downstream, but in the case of Yosemite, yeah. that was where the effect was seen, downstream. Yes. It wasn't where the wolves were. It was downstream, you know. It was incredible. incredible. I particularly like the um, – I love the raccoon story because this is – they introduced nothing here except a soundtrack yeah. And, yeah. and it made a massive difference. And, I, and yeah. to me, that just it just it – just, it actually – it reflects our own experience. You know what it's like when the restaurant's playing the wrong kind of music. It just yeah. ruins the mood for you. So, yeah, yeah. raccoons well, are fussy. And, and personally, I found it amazing that you could scare a raccoon because for those of you that aren't familiar, raccoons are, of course, the non-marsupial, very aggressive version of something like a bushy-tailed possum. Mm. Uh, and they're really mean. And, and if you ever run into them in, like, you know, and you're going to a dumpster or a bin to throw something out, yeah. you have to get permission from the raccoon to place the bag there. They're really intimidating <laughs> yeah, and nothing. scary. Yeah, yeah. So the fact you can scare a raccoon with a soundtrack yeah. is is pretty pretty amazing yeah i mean you i mean well you're american but you know here we have drop bears it's a similar problem yeah. <laughs> yeah, so. i've been watching for those for yeah, years yeah. now well uh, just well, you that. know yeah. you're, you're you're a lucky you're a lucky import <laughs> in that you haven't come across one i mean you know 
why, why do you think so many people go missing in this country? <laughs> That's why there are hardly any Americans on this panel. They haven't lasted that long. We had others. Yeah, yeah. But, um, but actually, I was just thinking, you know, maybe some black bear sounds on King Street on a Saturday night. Yeah. <laughs> you get that um, anyway. Is that not normal? <laughs> There's some weird roaring and grunting going There's on. There's some something going on there. Speaking of roaring and grunting, Chris KP, there's always a great segue to you. I know. I, I don't know how I feel blessed. Just, yeah, it just happens. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I, 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 I don't have a top one either or a top ten. I have a top four or specifically two top fours. Um, we, uh, so is it a top eight? I'm not sure. I don't know what that is. So we're, um, we're, uh, this year we welcomed um, four, four new elements. Um, oh, yes. We welcomed Moscovium, 115. Nihonium, 113. Uh, Organessen, 118. And my personal favourite, Tennessine, um, number 117. My favourite because it's, the, it's actually a really cool name. Tennessine is a cool name. Mm. Yeah. But also so, because so you know it's named after Tennessee. Yeah, okay, it it's less cool. It was, now, was so. discovered at yeah. Oak Ridge National Lab. But. <laughs> I prefer to think Tennessee Williams. But yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, look at you. <laughs> you battle, go over that. Battle yeah. of the Culture Nerds. Um, the, the reason I like it, though, is because there's, there's been some suggestion that it may, in fact, be like the gateway to the island of stability. They reckon it mm, might be one, yes, of, the, one yes. of the beginning uh, beginning elements that is, in fact, stable and not breaking down super fast and actually useful. Maybe. Ask me again in next year. Um, the other four that we welcomed this year were giraffes. We've been living with four species oh, yeah. of giraffe and we didn't know. Yeah, so big welcome as well to Giraffa Giraffa. And I'm, yes, that's <laughs> so good they named it twice. Yeah, yes, it was, exactly. Yeah, but also wait for it. It gets better. But also Giraffa Tipple Skirchi, Giraffa Reticulata, and Giraffa Camelopardalis. Um, so there's ooh, a python named Reticulata, and it's quite vicious. Is this giraffe like? It's does okay, it have hairy, retractable? A fangs? hairy, tall version okay. of it without fangs. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so not really. Yeah. So there you go. So yeah, we welcomed important things, um, and 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 that's again goes back to the ecology thing. It was an understanding. The giraffe thing was an understanding initially. Of, these guys look like they're doing different stuff in different places. And they even seem to be built slightly differently, and yet we keep calling them the same thing. Someone yeah. had to go in and study them to go, actually, we're idiots. They're not the same thing. The reason they look different is because they are different. You know? That's right. A great example of scientists, as we often do, admitting we're wrong. Exactly. Yeah. Precisely, yeah. yeah. Uh, under pressure. Yeah. <laughs> but it does happen. It does happen. And uh, I should say congratulations on the pronunciation there, Chris. Um, very good. Many of them are correct. Yeah, very good. <laughs> Just not the, not the Latin words. <laughs> <laughs> well, I can tell you, uh, you know, it's no surprise that I found some of the space stuff um, this year was... And I'm not sure I should mention gravitational waves because they were discovered last year, but we didn't get the announcement until this year. But um, but that is probably, for me, the you know... gravity, Shane. Yeah, well, Wait, you know. didn't, didn't the event they detect happen like a billion years ago? <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. So, you know, um, we're still talking about it. Um, <laughs> let it go, folks. No, look, it's, it is... I have to say that the gravitational wave detection thing, though, is probably... Probably one of, for me, it is probably one of the, the great achievements of the human race in terms of scientific endeavours that has ever happened. Um, because if you you have to think of the hundred years that went into this, and if you if you think about that now, under, what understanding you would have to have of the universe we live in in order to be able to make this measurement occur and the precision that is required to make this measurement occur, this is something quite special. And so I'm not going to talk about it. Um, what, they did <laughs> what, what, what scares me about it, like scares me scientifically, is the event they saw was an hour after they turned it on. Yeah. yeah you yeah, know, so, so, oh, my gosh. Yeah, it came A hundred years could have been yeah. mistimed. Yeah, and, and look, they, they have detected other things since, and there will be many more. I mean, you, you, you have to look at the just the immenseness of the universe to say, well, there will be more gravitational waves coming past us. So, yes, that will happen. 
Um, but it was it was a great achievement. You know, you could have had this thing turned on for a while. And if you think of those trying to determine what dark matter is, um, which you know at the moment the, you know, it may just be the force, um, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know those experiments have not. Um, sort of drawn any conclusions as yet they've eliminated a few things but they haven't drawn any conclusions and it could have been very much the same thing with gravitational waves this is a very hard uh, hard science so but what i did want to mention was the um the ongoing success actually of the kepler telescope nasa's kepler telescope because this thing you know in in one go when people talk about big data i mean this is this is big data all right a lot of people talk about big data and they're, they're really talking about something i could put on my home disk drive um this is big data this thing currently looks at 150,000 stars at the same time and monitors them all and is determining whether or not there are fluctuations in the light from those stars and then from that determines whether or not a planet may have passed between the telescope and the star. And that's how it works out whether there's a you know what we call an extrasolar planet or a planet around another star. And I, I found a, a news story I did back in May, which was pretty big at the time, but a lot's happened since then, where they released uh, more than uh, a thousand new planets to the catalogue. Now, you've got to understand that when, when they do this, these are unconfirmed. So basically what they do is they say, we've detected, you know, a thousand new planets, or in this case, it was 1,284. And you people down there with the ground-based telescopes, please go and confirm that we're right. <laughs> and so as you might imagine, there is a backlog of us being able to do this because there just simply is not enough ground-based telescopes to look at all these stars, determine whether or not they're real. Um, you, you, you often don't know exactly when the planet's going to pass in the right spot again. So you know, it might be a once-in-a-hundred-year once chance encounter. It might be something that happens once a month. You don't know. And so all, all this is, is happening all the time and this massive amount of data that's being sort of you know, processed as we go. We are literally in the... So in May, and I don't know the current figure, but in May, the number of extra planets, extrasolar planets that the Kepler probe had determined was 2,325. If we'd been having this discussion 20 years ago, the number was zero. And of course, we just found this year that our closest star, Proxima Centauri, not Alpha Centauri, but Proxima Centauri, um, has a planet which may well be in the habitable zone and may well be a similar size to Earth. So this is all hearsay at the moment. You know, there's a lot of work to be done there. But excitingly, we are putting up the James Webb Telescope very soon, and that will have the capacity to look in the sorts of range of frequencies where we'll be able to see just what, what's happening on some of these planets. So to me, that's a huge piece of science. And, and I love it because it's a piece of science that's not complete, but it's a piece of science that's ongoing, and you just never know when the next big bit's going to come out. So as much as all, you know, the other thing, gravitational waves, bang, there's a big announcement. With this, you kind of get a new present every day. It's really cool stuff. So, and there is an app, actually, that you can you can download and you follow the planets it's like a scientific uh, advent calendar it is exactly, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> exactly. For the whole year. yeah it's just it's glorious stuff so and for those of us who grew up in a in a scenario where um we didn't know if any stars other than our own had planets now it's well sorry we're common we're just one of the crowds so anyway we're going to play another music track for you folks and we'll be back in a moment we've got plenty more science coming your way you are listening to a podcast from Community Radio 3RRR FM in Melbourne, Australia. Uh, you're listening to Einstein and Gogo on 3RRR. We're racking out some nice pieces of science news from the year. Dr Crystal, you're up. 
Well, if 2015 was the year of Ebola, 2016 was the year of Zika. Mm. If we're uh, um, one of the stories I followed very closely this year was the um, rise and fall of the Zika virus in Brazil, um, which peaked sort of um, earlier in the year around sort of April May at around 8,000 new infections per week. Now, Zika wow. virus itself isn't new, but the scale at which this virus um, took over uh, in Brazil was quite immense. And one thing that really came to light was the association of Zika virus with um, birth defects. And so that's something that was underappreciated about this virus. Until then, Zika virus was thought to be quite a mild illness. You know, people got infected, maybe they had a fever and sort of flu-like symptoms and a bit of a cold. But one of the things that's really come out of this, um, the outbreak in 2016 was the fact that um, confirmation that Zika virus can lead to um, serious brain abnormalities, um, microcephaly um, in, in pregnant women. And um, and, uh, and and just looking at the, uh, the magnitude of this outbreak break and how much research suddenly got done i mean you know there was thousands and thousands of publications looking at you know can we and it's one of those things that it takes me back to have you seen that movie outbreak mm. Mm. and um i just love some of the science in that film that says unless we can grow it and study it and a lot of it we're never going to find a cure for it so really this was a big race to find out well, what is the best way of even just studying zika virus you know can we look at it in a dish can we look at it in mice how do we look at it in people you know um and you know some of the outcomes of that is that we've seen you know biotech companies collaborating with academic researchers to pre to fast track vaccines um we've seen some fantastic work looking at how zika virus is transmitted so it's uh, transmitted by mosquitoes by the um Aedes aegypti mosquito and some of the work that's been done looking at how to block other mosquito transmitted diseases such as dengue by um giving bacteria giving a mosquito a particular kind of bacteria um in its gut so that can't transmit dengue virus might also work for zika virus and so we've seen some fantastic australian research that's come out of scott o'neill's lab that's now being translated into how might we prevent the transmission of zika virus in mosquitoes by um giving these mosquitoes a quite harmless bacterial infection that then lets um stops them from transmitting the virus to people so for me, it was a fa- it was a it was a it was a fascinating year to look at the outbreak of this. Um, we've seen the, the the disease declining now in Brazil, but it's now in seventy different countries. Mm. And just this week, there was an outbreak in Texas where um, they've had local transmission of the Zika disease. Not just people coming from other countries into the country, um, but actually people there um, uh, the, where the virus is getting into the local community. So um, in Australia. We had 58 cases notified in 2016, but all those were people who'd come from overseas and come into Australia. So we don't currently have any mm. transmission of Zika that we know of, but we do have the mosquito. So the Aedes aegypti mosquito um, is in some areas of Queensland. So it is something to keep an eye on, um, particularly because Zika has been seen in our in our region, in the southeast Pacific. Um, but uh, I think it's been quite an incredible year looking at the um, the impact of this particular virus infection. And it's kind of like, well, 2015 was Ebola, 2016 was Zika, looking forward to next year. Uh, looking forward. <laughs> well, yeah. no, no, predicting forward, you're like, actually, there's some quite nasty strains of influenza out there, so, yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. what's next uh, in the world of virology? But I think what's been really exciting for me was to see how the research community really came together in an accelerated way to kind of address these big public health issues. Mm. And they can do that when when needed and that's you know give them the money give them the resources and they can do it well dr lauren 
Do you want to go next? I do. Thank you. Um, Yeah, I'm actually going to jump back to what you were saying before, actually, about, you know, big data. And Mm. one of the issues that we've had is that, you know, we're doing all these sorts of research projects now that actually are getting really large amounts of data. And, you know, we use things like hard drives and different sorts of storage units. But um, everything degrades in, in terms of those storage units. And there's no way that we can really keep this data for a long time at the moment. Uh, so there was a study this year and a discovery by the University of Southampton using nanostructured glass to actually make a a storage unit which is about the size of a sort of five cent piece and it can hold 360 terabytes of data and can remain intact up to a thousand degrees celsius so what that means is it can actually have a shelf life of around about 13.8 billion years so mm. pretty much the same amount of time the universe has existed. Well, that's not too bad. That's pretty good. <laughs> does it, does it uh, withstand good. water? If you drop it in the toilet, know? can you pick it out again? Do you know, I actually don't know. Um, that's, yeah, I'm, I'm that, that's going to depend on the pH because <laughs> yeah. if it gets pretty basic, you'll yeah. start to etch away your fine yeah. nanostructures. Yeah, 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 yeah interesting. But, I, but just condensation is probably okay. Yeah. Okay, yep, yep. You just, you just don't, don't it. drop it in. And as, and as climate change <laughs> makes the ocean more acidic, that's even better, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay, great, great. Um, but yeah, so basically the way it works is that the data is written onto the device using an ultra-fast laser and it uses very short, very intense light pulses to actually mm. um, put the data onto the, the structure. But what I really like about it is that the files are actually written in three layers of nanostructured dots. And so basically the data is in five dimensions. So there's the three-dimensional position of the data within the nanostructured glass and then also the size and the orientation of each individual dot also it's nice. a storage thing. So it's, it's, it's yeah, a really yeah. beautiful, you know, it's yeah. again, very artistic kind of thing, actually, yeah, yeah. to think about it. Yeah. So pretty exciting. Again, obviously not going to replace our little flash drives right yet, but down the track. But they will. I mean, yeah. you know. We'll have yeah. to yeah. in some stage. That's actually a, a really neat advancement in the context of they've they've tried nanoscale multi-layered writing of data before IBM had tried to develop mm. the millipede. Mm. Uh, they used a physical probe to do mm. that, but the catch was they did it by heating up pieces of uh, plastic, mm. and it worked beautifully. But um, if the plastic got over about, I don't know, 50C or in a car in yeah. Perth or Texas, mm. it yeah. would reset the data. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. And that's the thing, because you sort of go, oh, 50C, you know, that's, yeah, it's really hot, but it's not. Exactly. You know, if you leave it accidentally in the car or yeah. next to your computer, then all of a sudden it's wiped. Whereas a thousand degrees Celsius. Is and we've not all happen. left the videotape on the back shelf of the car, haven't we, folks? <laughs> we all have. Video not for a long time. Jeez, <laughs> <laughs> oh, VHS What's or reader? <laughs> I always said beta. <laughs> and, we all, and I think we all know why. Yeah. Um, Better quality. <laughs> Thank you, Dr. Ray. <laughs> Let's stick with the lady theme for the moment. Dr. Laura, are you ready to go again? I like to keep you surprised. It doesn't give you time to freak out. You're not letting yeah, I mean, no. she, she, she knows she's a lady. That's not news. <laughs> well, you're next, Chris. It's the ultimate, ultimate mansplaining, actually, when you have to explain to her that she's a lady. <laughs> Getting awful close into the microphone. Um, so <laughs> Sorry. So, okay, I'm about to tick two boxes, gene editing, crystal, tick, and yep. cancer immune therapy tick. So I'm going to talk about CRISPR technology. And we could say pretty much that every year is the year of CRISPR technology. You had it on last year. You probably have it on next year. So CRISPR is, um, you know, it's a massive buzz in the medical kind of community. And I read a quote where it says, you know, it's not if CRISPR will win the Nobel Prize. It's when CRISPR technology will win the Nobel Prize. So just briefly, 101, mm. CRISPR, the CRISPR system is the ability to spe- make specific alterations in DNA to change genes. 
Okay. And, you know, there are massive kind of broad applications of the ability to change the human genome, such as, you know, cure of genetic diseases. One of my favourites is the process of de-extinction to bring back the woolly mammoth comes up on Google, just Google it. Um, but what happened this year is, apart from uh, China creating uh, muscly dogs, which is quite exciting to see photos of muscular be- uh, beagles. Has anyone seen the photos of muscular no, beagles? No. A, a buff I, beagle? I, please, look. I totally agree. Surprisingly, I'm not Googling the right things. Yeah, I know. Oh, please. So, um, you know, buff so you, you, can, you can change specifically a gene in dogs, which affects muscularity, and this was the first gene-edited dogs that have been made. But just last month um, it was sort of like the space race between China and the US it was a race to get the first um, CRISPR edited cells into patients and um, this is going to happen in the US who's a little behind in 2017 to get um, the regulations through but last month these cells went into China and this was um, a trial for cancer immunotherapy and this is the use of our immune system to you know fight cancer so what they've done is they've taken cells out of patients who have uh, lung cancer and they've specifically targeted this molecule which um, sort of which blocks T cells, immune cells fighting cancer in a, in a better fashion. So they've put these kind of fired up immune cells back into lung um, patients with lung cancer um, with the hope that these edited cells will have a better chance at um, fighting uh, cancer. Mm. Isn't wow. there the risk that when you start to do that with the immune system, it could work fantastically, but either turning it off or the risk of the immune system then going attacking other things other than what Absolutely. you're hoping for? But, but it's also about targeting as well. It's all also about how you make those T-cells more specific and more effective, um, not necessarily longer living. Mm. So the great thing about CRISPR is it's really precise in the way it works. So it hones into a specific region of DNA and, com- and you know, so you can p- target it to a very specific molecule and that's the beauty of this system. Um, but of course, you know, in this human trial, like the biggest, um, everybody's got their eyes on safety. So, you know, there's a protein called Cas9 as part of this um, system and, you know, potentially humans might mount a response to this protein. So that's what everybody's got, have got their eyes on, the safety in this trial. I like the fact that finally the biologists have named something in a way that people can remember. CRISPR. CRISPR. Yeah, it's, it's an acronym and something I will not spell out for you because then people switch off. Yeah. <laughs> the, the acronym itself makes no sense whatsoever. No, yeah, it doesn't even make sense, but it sounds At cool. least it's got a catchy name. You know? But it's kind of exactly. like, it's almost a verb too. You know, those ones are kind of, you know, stale. This one's CRISPR. But, yeah, crispy. <laughs> but, I also, but, but it's also about precision. I mean, you yes. can be very crisp and precise. It's a very crisp way of editing the genome, um, which will hopefully reduce any off-target effects in the rest of the, um, the, the genome in terms of it being a, a cleaner uh, way of doing gene editing. I love it. Here's a couple of station announcements, folks. Very important stuff. They're crisp. You are listening to a podcast from Community Radio 3RRR FM in Melbourne, Australia. You are listening to Triple R. We're checking out some stories for 2016. But Chris KP, or CRISPR KP, as he's mm. known, uh, yes. has a community service announcement. Sort of. Um, I may have lied about that, actually. I apologise if I misled you. <laughs> um, just, just a quick thing. So, we were, we're, early in the show, we were talking about uh, about you know whether or not things can, when you can believe stuff when you read something online in particular whether it's something you can believe. Um, and Dr. Cromer was was raising the you know the risk that there are people out there trying to take your money from you at the at the, the at a moment. And just off air, we were talking about the fact that a lot of these stories we've talked about seem to have they're at risk of someone doing something shonky and dodgy. So I wanted to draw your attention to Credible. 
Um, if you haven't heard about Credit Bull yet, it's it's a website which rates online science stories for their credibility and their yeah. It's put together by um, by an old colleague of mine. Yeah. Um, so yeah, the, the website is getcredibull.com. So credible um, as in the word credible, or is it as in C R E D I B U W L? Oh, bull. Yeah. Uh, and they, I believe they, it, it was it was launched I think, um, last year, I think, and I believe that they're still doing testing of the of the scoring system. They want people to get involved. So if you want to go to the website and get on there and help them out with their scoring, the idea is to have a really simple, like, out of ten score, so you can go, yeah, this is rubbish or this is great. Because stuff, stuff like that, you know, is real, like this week I saw a headline that was like, could a simple uh, vitamin D pill <laughs> oh, help yeah, tackle yeah. autism? And yeah. it's like. Probably no. not. Yeah. Like, yeah. If, 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 yeah. if the word simple is in the question, the answer is probably no. Yeah, yeah. 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 And, and the bigger the claim, the bigger the requirement for evidence. But yeah, yeah but the, yeah. So that's that. Hopefully, that website will make it a lot easier and quicker for people to get a sense. But it doesn't, it doesn't mean tune out of an article. It just means how do I treat this mm. as I'm reading it? Mm. And, and always be cautious, folks, if the article's title is a question for you. Yeah, <laughs> and I think the one Dr. Crystal just gave is a great example. Could it? Well, maybe it could. In fact, if you read this whole article and click where we want you to and read these ads, you realise it can't. But, uh, Dr. Jeff, what do you got for us? Well, this this is ongoing. Uh, there's some a couple of really interesting articles um, from a um, a Perth researcher called Susan Prescott, who I've collaborated with, who talks about how ecological biodiversity is directly related to biodiversity within our, within our own gut, for example, and that we are intimately linked with the health of the environment. A few months later, I was at a, a, a conference on Aboriginal health, and guess what? The, con- the Aboriginal, Aboriginal's people's concept of health is that is a holistic version that we've been, we in general have been laughing at for a while um, that is basically saying that our health is basically we are, are, is linked inextricably with country and guess what they're worth listening to on this and I'm actually talking to an Aboriginal researcher next week to find out more it's a really interesting idea that Mm. we should think about our health um, uh, that the environmental health as part of our health. It's like our soul in a way. So we really need to think differently about what health really means. Mm. Mm. Thank you very much. Dr. Ray, we've got a minute. Uh, you got? It, was, uh, it was just one of a, a, a neat story that explains something that if you travel a lot, you experience, and that's the first night in a new mm-hmm. environment, you wake up a lot. And, and researchers from Brown University had actually shown that when you're in a new environment, your left brain is way more active when you sleep than your right. And it's, it's not dissimilar from how dolphins and some other animals sleep where they put one half of their brain to sleep. And they, they think it's originally a defense mechanism. But when you wake up at night, it may not just be jet lag. It may be half your brain is not really sleeping as much as you'd like. And uh, I just... Mm. <laughs> I went, I, exactly, I yeah. feel that all I've been, I've been there so, many uh, times. Yeah. yeah, I think we've all been there. Now, I was going to mention the fact, uh, we don't have much time to do it, but just mention the fact that this year in April there was an article in Nature um, relating to a, a neural prosthesis. You, you may remember this guy, they put this sleeve, so he had no activity between his brain and his hands, mm-hmm. and they put this sleeve over his forearm that activated his muscles, connected that through a computer system to an implant in his brain, and he was able to to play basically Guitar Hero on a gaming machine using his hand that he formerly had not been able to use. Incredible technology, which is really, you know, exciting at the moment. So it's not just about artificial limbs. 
It's about getting back control of limbs that people will still have. So huge amounts of research going on there. But um, it's that time of the year where we have to just chuck out a few thank yous. I um, want to input some background music for you from must, must be uh, must be uh, the either team riven up um the triple r staff for all their uh, help especially elizabeth mccarthy who's helped us with the the massive number of guests we've had this year the radiotherapy team have also been great they always introduce us so nicely which is kind given how much crap we give them um the fabulous team of podcasters that we had we saw a few of them this morning they put the show up every week within a few days which is a huge help to us. And Dr. Fiona, of course, who formerly was a host on the show, but now she just podcasts or controls the podcast team for me, which is a a huge help because it's one less thing that we have to do. Um, We've had some 125 guests this year, which is the the largest number the show's ever had in the sort of 25-ish years I've been doing it. Um, And a massive thank you to some of the host institutions that have given us those um, those guests, including the, the Murdoch Children's Research Institute, the Wehi, the Flory, the Hudson Institute, La Trobe Uni, Deakin Uni, Swinburne, Monash University of Melbourne, the Centre for Eye Research Australia, and there's many, many others that I have missed, but a massive thank you to all of you for putting all those guests forward because it is a huge benefit to us to have all that talent in the show and amazing to just to, to be able to present some of that talent that sits here in Melbourne and across Australia, actually, to our audience. Um, everyone who supported Triple R during the Radiothon, you know who you are. We absolutely love you for doing that. It makes a massive difference to the station. It is what makes the station run. To my team here, Dr. Lauren, Dr. Crystal, Chris KP, even Chris KP. <laughs> I'm going to cry. <laughs> Dr. Jeff, Dr. Ray, Dr. Jenny, who couldn't make it today, Dr. Catherine, uh, Dr. Ailey, Dr. Ewan, our newbie, Dr. Laura. Thanks for the last five minutes. It's been great. Um, <laughs> I'll be quiet for the last five minutes. Yeah. He, he knows, yeah. Liv, uh, Liv for doing our Twitter feed endlessly every week. She's the only other person who comes in every single week. It is a huge effort. And thanks so much. And a massive thank you to everyone who listens to our program. This means a, a huge amount to us. And, and we come in here and we can't see any of you, um, but we're told you're there. Um, and we only ever hear, hear from you when, when you know, we say something stupid and, and get corrected on Twitter. Which is weekly. And, and it's weekly. You're right, Dr. Jeff, it's weekly. But it is a huge uh, benefit to us to have you out there feeding back and feeding back through our various forms of social media and also through the, um, the Radiothon 10 days um from all of us here have a fantastic christmas and new years and stay safe and remember that science is out there so that we can interrogate the world and make our lives better it is something that in itself is constantly interrogated it is not like religion it is to be questioned and we constantly have to make a, a very firm decision to question the science that we have with evidence not just with opinions and as long as we do that science will continue to offer up some of the great things that we have in our lives and for us here in the studio and i think i speak for everyone here science is the most amazing thing that we have um, each day because it gives us a, a new future that is something that's better than the future that we've had in the past and if anyone out there ever wants to challenge science good luck because there are very very few things that we have going for us at the moment that has not been affected in some way by the science of those that have gone before so 
wherever you are, no matter what you're doing, support science and scientists and make the case to whatever government officials you can to put more money into science because it is what keeps us going and it is what will really get us into a position in the future that is hopefully better than the screwed up one we're in at the moment with regards to our climate and other things so from us remember science is everywhere we've had a great year chatting to you we look forward to 2017 we will be back there'll be some great shows on during the summer to take over while we're away until then have a safe time and adios from the einstein go go crew have a great time you have been listening to a podcast from Australia's best-known community radio station, 3RRR, 102.7 in Melbourne. For more podcasts, information about upcoming events and our live stream, please visit our website at rrr.org.au.